Sleep is the single most effective thing we can do to reset our brain and body health. And it is a complex physiological process. So sleep hygiene is really the care of sleep, prioritizing the time around it. But the, the secondary piece I would say is that sleep hygiene begins the moment we wake up. Welcome to Well Developed, a podcast where we explore how to bridge the gap between well-being and professional development. My name is Erin Herrera. I'm the Associate Vice Chair of Wellbeing in the Department of Anesthesiology at Washington University in St. Louis. I'm Rachel Moquin. I'm an Assistant Professor and Director of Learning and Development in the Department of Anesthesiology at Washington University in St. Louis. And Erin and I um, started this podcast because we believe that it is difficult to learn well or perform well when you are not well. So in this podcast series, we'll be bringing in experts and sharing our knowledge and experience on these important topics. We hope to provide space to validate, normalize, and explore the ways in which we bring our whole selves to work. Welcome back to the Well-Developed Podcast. Today we are talking about sleep, which is the number one thing I get asked about at work with my colleagues when we talk about well-being and health at work. So we have brought back the amazing Alicia Ott, who is here today as a special guest to talk about sleep. Alicia, tell us about your experience with sleep. Sure. Well, first, thank you for having me back. It's always a joy and I appreciate the invite. So I am a psychotherapist who treats sleep issues or sleep disorders. I use something called cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And then I also treat a lot of traumatic, like PTSD, stress disorders, and those tend to impact our sleep. So that's my background. I am not a neurologist. I am not a neuroscientist. I am a psychotherapist who treats sleep. We're so glad to have you here today. All right, let's dive into it. Where, Where should we start? Sleep hygiene. What does that mean? Well, I can tell you what sleep is. Sleep is the single most effective thing we can do to reset our brain and body health. And it is a complex physiological process. So sleep hygiene is really the care of sleep, prioritizing the time around it. But the the secondary piece I would say is that sleep hygiene begins the moment we wake up. And I don't think most people realize the importance of your day-to-day 24-hour circadian cycle. It's actually 24.5. But taking care of that circadian cycle really begins the moment you wake up. And that really is sleep hygiene. That's helpful to hear. It's a little counterintuitive. When I think about sleep hygiene, I'm like, okay, well, what's my bedtime routine, right? It starts in the evening, but you're saying like the minute you wake up, you should be thinking about sleep. (laughs) And that's why we're talking about this today because that's why I get asked a lot at work because a lot of our colleagues in medicine do not go to bed at the same time because we work different shifts and people are working and awake and asleep at all different hours of the day. So I think that's what makes it so hard for people to establish a good healthy sleep routine, especially those people who are cycling shifts. So you're working a little bit of days, a little bit of nights, and that can be really catastrophic, um, you know, both for your mental health and actually your physical health. There's lots of data on that. But um, that's why we're so excited to have Alicia here because she's going to help us kind of talk through as healthcare workers how we can make some modifications, especially for those of us that are sleeping during the day instead of the nighttime. 
So if we're thinking about like a, a good 24 hour, 24.5 hour sleep routine, what does that mean? Talk us through that. Sure. So the very first thing you should consider is the moment you wake up, if possible, getting as much sunshine into your eyes as possible. If you start to really consider your eyeballs as an extension of your brain, because they are, and taking in as much or as many lux or that measurement of light as possible. And if possible, making that sunshine rather than like an LED or something along those lines. Of course, for those of us who wake up really early and if you're in the Midwest right now, if you're waking before 7 a.m., there just is not sunshine. And that's okay. Go flip on a light and start to take in that light in your bathroom, your kitchen, wherever you are. The second thing is when we wake, the cortisol and adrenaline start to dump into our system and the body temperature starts to rise. So another thing that you can do, and I know Rachel is not a fan of this, <laughs> take a cold shower to get to, to really get all of those neurotransmitters and hormones started for the day. The other thing in lieu of the cold shower first is to work out and then take the cold shower. But the other piece here, and this is not popular, wait to drink caffeine. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. There's where you all right. lost me, at least. As our listeners will remember, <laughs> Rachel's listing all the things she's not doing the right way right now. For the record, it's 9 a.m. and Rachel has a venti coffee sitting in front of her right now. <laughs> I did not take a cold shower this morning. I have not worked out. And my first stop after dropping off my kids was to pick up the coffee. Uh, I'm taking notes. <laughs> Absolutely. Caffeine, if you can wait the first 90 minutes after you wake. I know she just looked at me. For anyone out there, imagine she just shot me some stink eye 90 <laughs> minutes after you wake. Okay. That's ideal. And if you can stop the caffeine consumption by noon, I know. Noon? Noon. And here is why the half-life of caffeine. Okay is five to six hours. So it's really going to give you, continue to give you that boost until five and 6 p.m. if you're drinking it at noon. If you want to go to bed by 10 p.m., you absolutely need to stop by noon. Okay, I'm gonna ask a favor of anyone who's listening who works with me. If you're in a meeting with me at 3 p.m. and you see my regular 3 p.m. <laughs> cup of coffee for the next few weeks, and give me a little nudge to put it down. Maybe, maybe you can all help me. <laughs> Encouragement is good. <laughs> well, as as a fellow coffee enthusiast, I Maybe I just drink so much that it doesn't even affect me anymore. But I could literally drink a double espresso and just tuck right into bed and go to sleep. It, it doesn't affect me much. But my friend at work, we were, we were talking about this in the operating room the other day because I was saying we were about to record this podcast. And he told me he takes something called a coffee nap. And I was like, tell, tell me about this coffee nap you take. And he says, well, you, I drink a cup of coffee and then you go to sleep for about 20 minutes and you rest. And then the coffee's kicked in and then you feel like, extra great after that nap. And I was like, that's a pretty genius plan. But I think there's actually probably, Alicia's shaking her head, like maybe this this is not a new thing he's invented. It, it is nothing new he's invented. I really hate to dash his hopes. It is super common, actually. Mm -hmm. And the truth is you do not get into REM sleep there. It would be non-REM sleep. Mm -hmm. Is it good? Is it bad? 
I don't really have an opinion. Hmm. Uh, a lot of shift workers, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but a lot of shift workers do something called triphasic or biphasic sleep, and that is not actually sleeping a full eight hours at, in one solid stretch. So if it works, it works. If he needs that boost somewhere in the middle of his workday, absolutely do that. Just know the caffeine in and of itself is going to interrupt your solid sleep when you do get to lay down later. Gotcha. All right. I will we'll squash his plans when I <laughs> go back to work tomorrow. All right. So if we're continuing our 24-hour good sleep hygiene day, we're monitoring caffeine afternoon. What's next? Well, trying to get more sunshine between 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. because that's going to be uh, the amount or the uh, increase in lux that sunshine that you need to be taking into your brain. So sunshine midday, and then as the sun starts to set, we want to limit alcohol. If you're going to drink, have that glass with dinner. Food is key when you're going to consume alcohol. It will interrupt REM sleep. And I know a lot of folks are out there saying, but alcohol makes me sleepy. It absolutely does. It will make you sleepy. It will facilitate falling asleep. However, it will interrupt REM sleep later in that second phase of your sleep cycle when you really need REM. So um, some other things to consider as the sun sets, staying away from blue lights in that hour and a half before bed. And what is blue light? Sure, your cell phone. It is definitely cell phones, tablets. Uh, and yes, television does emit some. However, it is not right next to your eyeballs like your cell phone would be. And so it's definitely going to be, uh, let's just say metabolized differently. It's definitely going to elicit different chemicals just because it's farther away. And so it's not as intense. We're looking at lux again, right? The mm. amount of light, the intensity of light. So um, warm shower at bedtime. There you go okay. for all my anti-cold shower <laughs> folks. Warm shower at bedtime increases the body temperature so that when you get out of the shower and the temperature begins to fall, it makes you sleepy. And so some things that a lot of folks ask me about, and I'm sure you've heard about this also, CBD to facilitate sleep. And the truth is it lowers body temperature. So yes, it will make you sleepy. However, just like alcohol, it will actually interrupt REM sleep later. So if the problem is you're having difficulties falling asleep, you can lean into using either of those. Just know that it could interrupt REM later. So I hope that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, a couple of other things. Don't exercise in the two hours before bed because it, it disrupts circadian rhythm. If you're going to work out, try to do that as early in the day as possible. And don't eat in that 90 minutes before bed because that too is going to interrupt body temperature. So I think I hit all of the key parts. Was there anything I missed? No, that was really interesting. You know, what we were talking about before we started the podcast, we were here chit-chatting with each other, and we were talking about how much you just, you do unintentionally. You don't realize why it makes you feel good. You just are doing it because it makes you feel good. And I was saying how I'm a 5 a.m. workout person. Like, I go and I work out every morning first thing, and it makes me feel great. And I didn't really know all of the science behind it. I knew working out was good. But it makes sense how much that affects my sleep and kind of sets the tone for my day and setting that rhythm and, you know, Another reason why I know everyone thinks it sounds terrible to get out of bed at 5 a.m. and 
truck to the gym, but it helps. But especially as a healthcare worker, you know, I work in an operating room. I There's no light. There's no windows. Um, and even for me, it's hard to find a window at work. Um, you know, one of my friends, she is an architect who um, designs well-being certified buildings. And we were talking a lot about how much we're missing in hospitals when you think about a well-being certified building. And, you know, when hospitals were built, it makes sense because we're there to help our patients, but they tend to put all of the rooms with windows tend to go to the patients. And Mm. so by default, all of the employees get stuck kind of in the core of the building where you don't really have any access to not only windows, we don't even have easy access to outside where you can kind of step out for a few minutes. And so, um, you know, for me, as someone who works in an operating room, my workday starts about 6.15. So I go in before the sun comes up, and then I work all day in an operating room in the windows, and then I work a 10-hour shift. And so I leave at 5 to 6 p.m., and there are day, days and days will go by before I see the sun. Like, sometimes I text my husband midday. I'm like, hey, what's the weather like out there? <laughs> I mean, it, like, I might as well be in a, a bomb yeah. shelter um, so removed for the world. And so I realize how super unhealthy that is during the winter months for us and like how detrimental it can be to to our sleep cycles, especially now that we're heading into daylight saving time. Dun, dun, dun. I see in people's offices around the hospital, some of those like sun lamps. Is that a helpful, like, I mean, you know, we can't like bust a window in an office where there isn't one. Is that a helpful tool? It is helpful. Is it a cure-all? No. Mm-hmm. So, in your case, Erin, I would actually recommend getting your vitamin D checked by your primary care just because you have such limited sunshine. And so th- hmm. the reason being, it will impact your mood and it will impact your sleep during these colder winter Midwest months. So definitely keep an eye on that because we don't want you and any healthcare worker who's not getting any sunshine throughout the day to start to get into more of a low mood cycle Mm. just because you're not able to get sunshine and it's legitimate. It is real. Mm. If you can, sneak out sometime in the middle of the day, even if it's for five or 10 minutes, just to take in sunshine. And if you, and I know this isn't going to be popular in January, but try to maximize the amount of sunshine on your skin. So short sleeves if you can, but definitely getting in real sunshine. But yes, to your to answer your question, Rachel, it absolutely is helpful to have those lamps whenever you, it's not possible to get the real thing. Hmm. You mentioned, I was wondering, you mentioned getting that eight hours of sleep. I think we hear a lot about like, oh, some people only need six hours of sleep. Some people need nine. Is there a right number of hours of sleep or does it vary by individual? It's very much individual. I am a seven hour and I feel great after seven hours. I would say six and a half to nine. That is kind of a sweet spot. If you're going over nine, then we would definitely look at that. And so that's kind of a a real segue into what we do in psychotherapy. We in our intakes, screen sleep. We look for, are you having difficulty falling asleep? Are you having difficulty staying asleep? And are you getting six and a half to nine hours? If you're getting more than that or less than that, let's look at the reasons behind that. It is a real glimpse into someone's psyche and it actually helps us with diagnosing mental health disorders because sleep is actually a part of a lot of different disorders. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting. So I um, so I personally have an autoimmune disease, so I have rheumatoid arthritis, and. I always tell people it's like I'm it's almost lucky that I have it because my body tells me very clearly when I have or have not had enough sleep. And so I know within like a 30 minute window, I have to have seven and a half hours of sleep to eight a night or my arthritis will immediately flare up. And so I don't do well with shift changes and I'm super duper protective of my sleep. Mm. So all my friends know, I mean, like they know I'm a nerd, but I'm always like, pack it up. I got to get home. I got to get, I got to wake up time tomorrow. It's time to end the night. But, um, you know, it's like, uh, I almost see it as a benefit. It's like, I know exactly my body is telling me, this is what you need. Don't try to mess it up because you will have problems. And, but it's so interesting that other people don't, I don't think keep as close an eye on it personally to know like their number, but that number is so helpful. It's hard. It's been hard for me. I've been trying to figure it out what my right number is, but I have two young kids and like, you know, babies are awake all the time and your sleep is so disrupted. And so I've been like sort of five years of like the sleep I get is the sleep I get and I cling to it, but I'm starting to settle out of that and I'm finding about six and a half to seven. So I feel good that I'm in your window. Uh, Absolutely. Well, and that's also a really good point to make. We get our kids on sleep schedules that is such a priority. Mm-hmm. Does how many of us take that step back and say, what are our reasons for getting our kids on a sleep schedule, Ooh. other than the fact that we have to get up tomorrow morning? <laughs> mm-hmm. But it is important. All of us, actually, Aaron, all of us thrive on a schedule, routine, stability. It does help us feel very safe in that mm-hmm. respect, and it helps just as far as overall well-being and mental health. Mm-hmm. So yes. Absolutely get into a routine, even you big kids out there, get yourself into a routine. As soon as you wake up, start to think about this is my sleep cycle. Okay. So that's a like a look at sleep hygiene over the day. What about those of our listeners who, as Erin is pointing out, like she does, do the shift work or work, their their schedules change? How do we maintain or sort of help ourselves maintain some some sleep hygiene? Sure. So I can tell you I worked shift work for 15 years. I have a very fortunate position now where I do not have to. I work eight to five most days of the week. And so I have a very good glimpse into biophasic sleep. So I can tell you a little about that. But first I would say, if you know you your shift starts at, let's say, 7 p.m., start it just like you would if you were starting your shift at 7 a.m., you're going to try to maximize light. You're going to start to prioritize body temperature. Fueling your body is, and caffeine will be in the same window that hour and a half after you begin. And you're going to want to stop it 10 hours before you plan to go to, to sleep. I know all of my overnight people are going, no way, Alicia. <laughs> I have a cup of coffee at 2 a.m. and go to bed at 6. And I would say do what you have to do just know it will interrupt your REM later. So try to prioritize. So sleep hygiene, sleep schedule is the same no matter the shift. And if you're going in, if you have the luxury, if you will, of driving in as the sun sets and going home when the sun rises, that counts. Your brain doesn't know the difference between sunrise and sunset if you've been awake all night. So definitely take in that sunshine on either end of the spectrum. And then you really want to prioritize darkening your sleep space and m- making it cool because your body needs that cooler temperature in order to get into a deep sleep. So 
sacred space. I know mine was. I had not just blackout curtains, but it was two or three layers. I'm sure you're both mm-hmm. adding. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everything you could think, turning off the phone, no sound. And um, so biphasic sleep is really for those of us, like if you are a working parent and you have to get up in the middle of the day, go home, catch that first four or five hour nap, if you will, and then prioritize going to bed later if you can. And if you are switching a shift, so here's the other thing about shift work. It's ideal to stay on the same shift for 14 days. (laughs) And I know that doesn't happen in hospitals. I treat a number of physicians who will work a different shift in a three-day window, and that is catastrophic for physical and mental health. Mm. It really is. So if you can stay on a 14-day schedule, that's ideal. That includes weekends too, right? Absolutely. Yes. Wow. And that that's hard. <laughs> it, it is. I I used to have when I worked overnights, it was a luxury to stay on for twenty eight days and then I would have forty eight hours to change. And so biphasic was a little easier for me. I would get off work at six AM, sleep that four hour window, and then I would be able to go to bed at 10 p.m. for the most part and sleep through the night. For those of you who don't have that short change, biphasic, triphasic, even polyphasic sleep. Take it when you can. This is what we tell new parents, right? Sleep when you can. Same thing. Take the sleep when you can. And then when you actually have a few days off, prioritize it. Alicia, could you define biphasic, polyphasic sleep? Biphasic is dividing up your sleep into two different phases. And So this gets a little deeper into sleep. Let's use an eight-hour sleep phase, for example. The first four hours of your your eight hours is going to be less REM, more non-REM deep sleep. You will get REM, but that's going to be shorter windows. The second four hours of that eight-hour sleep phase, if you will, is going to be more REM. So those REM phases could be an actual 90-minute window instead of a nine-minute window in that first four. So biphasic would really just be taking that first four hours, let's say 6 a.m. to 10 a.m., and you are going to be tired. Absolutely, you won't get the full effects of that REM sleep. However, at night, you can almost be guaranteed that the next round in a biphasic sleep, you will get it. So same thing, triphasic, we're dividing that sleep into three over the course of a 24-hour window. And for those of you who really, and I hear this especially in rural areas for providers, they may work a 24-hour shift as a provider. And so if that is the case, polyphasic is taking those little naps anywhere in that 24-hour window where you can get it. The thing about REM, and I, I really want to drive this home, is that it cleans out all the garbage. So if you imagine like a street sweeper in New York City and at night, all of the buildings lower and now we can sweep things out a little easier. Hmm. That is the best metaphor for REM sleep. It really does make it easier for your body to heal, Hmm. for your brain to heal. So just consider the importance there of your immune system, especially if you're immune compromised at all. But mental health also. Well, and when you know the point of this podcast is that we have that professional development bent, and how important it is to have 
cleaned out your garbage as you will mm. before you kind of come back to work and start working through. Because I mean, I know I personally can tell a big difference in my work quality when I haven't had good sleep or my schedule has been off and it just, you don't have that mental clarity. And, you know, even I'm sure it even affects memory and mental clarity and all of those, you know, executive processing functions that you need for work. And um, Very that's much. catastrophic for you professionally yes. if you're not sleeping. Well, and statistically, there are a lot of research studies on this. Most medical mistakes are made in that overnight shift just because you're exhausted, yeah. especially if you are in the unfortunate position of being on call to come in overnight and you've already spent the entire day at work. You were planning on getting that overnight sleep, so you probably had good sleep hygiene throughout your day planning for that overnight and now you're exhausted. So absolutely. So what, when we talk about, I know you said that 14 days is optimal for staying on a shift, but I know for a lot of us here in medicine, that's just not, not a thing. Plus you have, you know, life and children and things on the weekend. So do you have any tips for people? Cause I know a lot of our folks work, you know, two days on or three days in a row on and are kind of trying to maybe flip into a daytime person for one day in between? Like what what tips do you have for them to make that any easier? Absolutely. So that's where I would say start your sleep, your circadian cycle, where you want to prioritize being awake. So if you want to be awake at 6 a.m., that's where you're going to start your, your sleep cycle. Wake up, work out, take your cold shower, don't drink coffee yet. Exactly. <laughs> get, get some breakfast and start your sleep cycle at that point. And normally, as a general rule, whenever I treat insomnia, especially, we say stay away from naps. Naps are, are not your friends. This is nice in <laughs> my heart. That is not what we would look for for our healthcare workers in okay. those short, what I would call a short change. Okay. So definitely ignore that rule and take your nap. Just know certain lengths of nap are going to have different sleep cycles. That Some of them could be non-REM deep sleep, and some of them could be that longer-range REM sleep. If you're getting into that long-range REM, that is really going to disrupt your ability to sleep overnight tonight if that is, is your plan. So what's the nap sweet spot? You know, that's a great question. I think that is just like we were saying earlier with Rachel, it where some of us sleep overnight, six and a half to nine. I know my nap sweet spot is seven minutes. Wow. Absolutely. If I sleep longer than that, I can feel my body temperature rise. Mm. Just like I was, I would be waking up in the morning. But that's just me. I would say it's, it, it really depends on you. I can tell you what is more detrimental, and that would be anything over three hours okay. as a nap per se. That's why whenever I say biphasic sleep, that's really what it is, is a biphasic sleep. Four or five hours is really prioritizing sleep and not a nap itself, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So it's really about paying attention to ourselves. Like we have to be our own like monitor of that. Like when I wake up from a nap, thinking about how long it was and how I'm feeling. Right, do I feel like I'm waking up in the morning or do I feel refreshed and energized and figuring that out for each individual, it sounds like. Well, now you're getting into my jam. This is mindfulness and that's a whole new podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Add it to the list. Yes. Yes. <laughs> mindfulness, it very much is that self-awareness. And I love that you mentioned that because we don't pay attention to our bodies. Mm. Our bodies talk to us all day, every day. And we in Western culture are so 
busy. We ignore what our bodies are telling us. We're tired. We're hungry. We feel tension. We're holding our shoulders up by our ears. <laughs> yes. Pay attention to your body. Absolutely. Mm. We, we talked about before we started the podcast how if you look at your pets, like pets just know, like your dog or cat runs around the house and finds the little sunspot. And my dog will sleep in like the most insane place because that's where the sun is and that's what he needs. And it's like almost watching your pet. They know when to eat. They know when to lay in the sun. They know when to take a nap. And, you know, humans, we just fight it so mm-hmm. hard. I got stuff to do. I got to I gotta Zoom. I can't, I can't yep. take a rest right now. My dogs are my home office managers. They come get me. They're like, uh, Alicia, will you log in? And we need to start working. First patient's at eight. Yeah. Girl, get in that chair and get on it. Get on I it, I don't ladies. feel like my cat is that helpful. <laughs> but I feel like all this kind of come back to our last you know, episode we did together with boundaries of prioritizing mm-hmm. yourself and your needs. And, you know, when you're talking about the night shift folks, I was thinking how hard it is because I know personally my phone is going off all day long and because that's when emails happen because that's when the rest of the world is awake and meetings happen and stuff gets scheduled. And, you know, I'm sure for them it's important to prioritize yourself, put the phone in another room, you know, cancel saying no to social obligations that you know are going to be detrimental to your sleep cycle. But yeah, prioritizing yourself in your sleep. It's so interesting you say that. And if it's possible, make it so that your kid's school contacts the, the parent who is awake mm-hmm. during those hours. That makes it ideal so that you can rest peacefully and know that you don't have to worry. Nothing is going to burn down while you sleep. That is mm-hmm. really going to curb that anxiety that keeps us from getting into the REM. Uh, So yes, absolutely. Turn off your phone. It's so interesting. I just had a patient this week who asked me for permission to turn off his phone on a Sunday. (laughs) And I said, you don't need my permission. You have that you can set that boundary for yourself. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Pause those emails. Again, nothing's going to burn down if you don't answer a work email on Sunday. Yes. Yeah. And the work that you do when you're supposed to be sleeping is not going to be as good as if you wait and set the boundary and come back to it in that healthier, better state. Yeah. Well, for sure. I feel like this, the moral of like what we've said today is some of it is like trusting and listening to your body, but also like put, you got to put in the work. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it is making conscious choices and like really thinking through and doing like the legwork of like contact my significant other. They're awake during the day. And, you know, like making those conscious choices to prioritize yourself and your health. It really is. Once you get into the hang of it, it's a habit, just like nutrition or exercise or anything else. And it's really one of the easier ones. I know my caffeine lovers are going to disagree but it really is one of the easiest things you can do for yourself is to prioritize sleep really the moment your alarm goes off in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I just can't get behind the cold shower thing. This is the one that I'm, I'm like, gonna I'm going to try it. <laughs> but, but that's a lot at once, right? I got I to gotta cut the coffee. I got to try the cold shower, <laughs> maybe move my workouts up. So we'll see. I'll report back. Pace yourself. Cold <laughs> shower in the morning, warm shower at night. 
And just remember this, the cold shower does not have to be three minutes whatsoever. That is a 20-second shock. Okay. 30-second shock. (laughs) In and out. Like jumping in a cold pool and then getting out, right? Okay, so not like full hair wash, shower, and cold. Okay, (laughs) Okay. that's that's more attainable. (laughs) I do that and love it, but that is not for everyone. Okay, so Alicia, one more question I have. Um, I'm a person who struggles to fall asleep and struggles with nighttime anxiety, and I see that in my five-year-old too. And when I talk about this with you know his pediatrician or, or for myself, um, melatonin is something that has been recommended or that we go to to help us fall asleep. Um, what's your thought on like using something like that to help you fall asleep? Does it help with anxiety? What are the where do we support ourselves here? So this is a great question. It's something I am asked quite frequently. And there is research, bodies of research, on the amount of melatonin that's actually present in that over-the-counter pill that you're taking. It can be anywhere from 10, 20 to 400% more than what it is actually saying on the label. And this is evidence-based peer-reviewed research. Wow. The Veterans Association, they really kicked off CBTI, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, and they will tell you, don't take melatonin. It will get you to fall asleep because it actually lowers the body temperature. That's how it works, just like alcohol and CBD. That is the only thing it's doing for you is lowering lowering body temperature. Hmm. There are behavioral things you can do to address that, that warm shower or warm bath to really jumpstart the temperature falling once you get out of the warm shower. No electronics, reading a book, just downtime before bed. Behavioral things work as well as melatonin. The other thing to know is if you have anxiety, uh, and Erin mentioned this, and I will jump to her uh, as far as sleep stories go. Mm-hmm. So, um Go ahead and tell us about. Yeah, so stories. here, um, the Department of Anesthesiology has purchased all of our all of the members of our department um, the Calm app on their phone, and so they have these amazing thing called sleep stories, and they have this whole section that I use nightly that are just children's sleep stories because my daughter immediately falls asleep, um, but they're pretty magic. And I mean, maybe Rachel. I mean, not Rachel. Maybe Rachel does know the science, but I'm guessing it's probably <laughs> Alicia that knows it. Um, but I, they're magic. I mean, they put me to sleep. They put my kid to sleep. One of my my colleagues who's um he always jokes he's like my life mission is to get to the end of a sleep story and I can't make it happen and it and it pisses me off that I can't get to the end of a sleep story and find out what happens but I was like I think that's the point of the sleep story um but for us it's really great because it's just a nice essentially what a sleep story is it's just it's so boring but it just like lulls you to sleep and it's nice and it's just auditory there's no light on there's no stimulation and it my daughter just listens to him and it, it works like magic every night so my son likes those and we try them but his anxiety about like what if I don't hear the end of the story or what if the iPad turns off like I think sleep stories paired with like how how else can I help him wind down? What can I do to address that looming anxiety that he feels about sleep? Sure. So I will preface this whole explanation by saying I do EMDR, eye movement desensitization reprocessing. I'm a certified therapist. And if you know anything about EMDR, it's rooted in REM sleep. That is the the whole source of this treatment modality. And so uh, along with that, I would say when we're in REM sleep, your fear factor, and even right before you go to sleep, that fear-based midbrain is hyperactive. Cortex winds down at at uh, bedtime, so you're not problem solving. So absolutely, he is his little brain is on fire, right? It, 
all of the what ifs. And just like Aaron was saying, nighttime anxiety is real. We see that a lot. It's one of the things we ask about when we do intakes for our um, psychotherapy. So looking at nighttime anxiety, the the what ifing, the catastrophizing. So for example, sleep story, that's going to give you kind of that mindful escape, if you will, Mm -hmm. from the what ifs. If that isn't helpful, I would come back to this EMDR and soothing the vagal nerve, the vagus nerve, if you've ever heard of polyvagal theory. So a little bit of EMDR, polyvagal theory, and it is called silencing the alarm. And for all of our listeners, I would say go to YouTube and Google and or um, either one. We'll put the link on our our website that comes under this to find it. And the channel is called Calm, C-A-L-M, with Kyle, K-Y-L-E. Kyle is a psychologist who specializes in EMDR and polyvagal theory. And he has a number of different vagus nerve soothing, calming exercises, but especially go to silencing the alarm. And at bedtime, if you can, do this six, eight, 10 times. And it is just going to be a behavioral thing to do to calm yourself, calm your brain. It is just you and this listening to Kyle's voice as you do it. But once you learn it, you can quite honestly do it anywhere. If you suffer from panic attacks, you can do it. If you wake in the middle of the night, you can do it. Hmm. And it works like a charm. Silencing the alarm. Silencing the alarm. Calm with Kyle. And Kyle, I just want you to know I want to cut, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll link it. As Aaron said, we'll link it on the on our site. That's really helpful. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming back and talking with us about this today. It's We appreciate having it sort of the expert lens and getting our questions answered. And as, as last time, I have a list of things to try to, to improve my well-being. Thank you both so much. It's always so much fun to see you and do this. Great. Thank you so much. And our shift working colleagues will appreciate this content, I'm sure. And get your vitamin D levels checked, everyone. All my colleagues, put that on your list.